about it again. Hallelujah. Jesus is king, and in this place, Jesus reigns. Let's pray, and then we're going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us. Father, we're so grateful to be together today, united with brothers and sisters. Jesus, we thank you that you're keeping us in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Your peace, God, is your shalom. It's your healing and your wholeness. It's your completeness in every area of our life. And we allow our souls now to surrender to the shalom of heaven, lacking nothing, wanting for nothing, fully expecting and trusting that you are ready to do in our lives far beyond anything we could ever ask, think, or imagine. It's in the name of Jesus that the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, I'm so honored to be with you today and to be continuing on this supernatural series. Man, make some noise for Jesus if you've been blessed by what's been going on. It is awesome. Awesome to see what God's doing. Let's start in Acts 4, and then we'll see where we end up, okay? Acts chapter 4, we're continuing on this supernatural series, and this next installment is about learning to step into a place of boldness by means of the Holy Spirit in regards to sharing our witness. And I want to make a case for you in a few different places of Scripture, but we'll begin in Acts 4. Now, just to give some context here, this is post-Pentecost Sunday, and the disciples are now fully equipped with everything they need to go about following in the pattern of Jesus, which according to the book of Acts, in later chapters, roundabouts chapter 10, we find out that Jesus went about doing good and curing all those that were sick and oppressed of the devil because the Holy Spirit was on him. If you ever wonder what the mission for the church is, how many of you know that we have to look to the life of Jesus? Jesus has set the model for us of what the church is supposed to look like. It is his church after all. He's the head of his church and he's left for us a model to follow. And Jesus' life is the model for us to follow as believers and it's the model for us to follow as his church. And Jesus went about with a unique mission, a particular mission. And his mission was to do good and to cure all. Everybody say all. Who are sick and oppressed of the devil. And he told the the believers that before they could start this work, before they could follow in his life, before they could follow in preaching the gospel, making disciples, following the signs that the commission at the end of the gospel of Mark says that this will be the signs that follow those that believe. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Everybody say, will. Will recover. Before they could operate in all those things, Jesus needed them to be empowered They'd made a decision to believe in him. They'd made a decision to trust that he was Lord and Messiah. But now he said that he needed them to wait into Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit, until they received power. And in the beginning of Acts, we read that Jesus tells the disciples that they will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they will be empowered to be his witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses of Christ. And the disciples take that seriously, and we should too. 
after we operate in that place of surrendering ourselves to receive of the promised Holy Spirit. How many of you know that salvation, Jesus coming into you, is for your sake, but the Holy Spirit coming on you and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the sake of the world? In that place, the disciples have started to follow in that model. Jesus has done a massive work in their hearts. They've called upon him as Lord. They've made a decision to follow him. And now he says, before you start this ministry of being my witnesses, before you start this ministry of going out into all the world, any place that your day and travel takes you, following my spirit, you need to be baptized in my Holy Spirit. You need to be saturated with the power of God to now follow in my style of ministry. It's impossible to follow Jesus' style of ministry without the Holy Spirit. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, and that's how he went about doing good and curing all those that were sick and oppressed of the devil. So the disciples received this baptism, they received this empowerment, and they go to work, healing and preaching, and it causes quite a ruckus with religious folks. If you're doing it right, it still will today. <laughs> Religion likes the nice little box that they've built for God. That God can only do the things that I'm comfortable with. God can only show up based upon my understanding. Sad thing is the box that religion builds, one day you open it up and you find that God's never been in there. <laughs> God won't fit into your box. A lot of us carry a box around. Well, most of us do. Everybody I'm looking at does. And it sits on top of our two shoulders. That's why I pray, God, we believe, according with your word, that you will do in our life beyond anything we could ask, think, or imagine. The Holy Spirit's given you the capacity not just to flow in the power of God, but to think with the understanding of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives you access to the mind of Christ. And in Acts 4, we see this, this oppression that started in the church. The disciples have gone about causing a, a ruckus, which is one of the things the Holy Spirit's good at doing, is causing a ruckus. You know where Jesus went? There was only two responses, revival or riot. If you're following Jesus, it'll probably be the case with you too. Be some people that really like you, some people that really don't. At least you know where everybody stands, amen? The disciples are causing a ruckus, and they're really stepping into and believing and trusting in this empowerment of God. Folks get healed. The religious communities all shook up because they're doing these things in the name of Jesus that the religious rulers of that day had gone to far depths and earnest reaches to make sure that this Jesus, this rebel rouser was crucified. Now these guys that were following him and what really, what really ticked them off, and we're going we're gonna to read this here in Acts 4, 13, is that they were perceived as uneducated, common men. Let me give you a little in, inside scoop here in regards to the Middle East at that time and the Jewish world. In the Jewish community of that day, if a man was not accepted into the school of a rabbi, rabbis were prominent figures in the community, and the Jews of the day took it extremely serious to learn the scriptures and to follow the pattern of life set by them through the law and the prophets. And to be accepted into a rabbi's school, to be accepted into a teacher of the law's school, was a tremendous opportunity. 
It'd be like in our culture being accepted into like some Ivy League college. It was, it was a big deal. It was a place of status, of prominence, and boys that didn't make the cut for whatever reason because of mental capacity, socioeconomic status, because there was corruption in that day and age as there is now because people have always been people. Have you figured that out by now yet? Thank God for Jesus. If you weren't accepted into a rabbi's school, if you weren't asked to take on the yoke of a rabbi and to train under a rabbi, you were sentenced with ordinary work, common work. What I love about Jesus is when he decides to build his ministry team, he goes strategically to people that we can infer, and most scholars agree, that had either yet to be selected or had been rejected by a rabbi of the day. Ordinary not spectacular, not educated people. Aren't you so glad to see that God delights in bringing the kingdom to earth through unlikely people in unlikely places? Paul tells us in one of his letters to the church in Corinth that God uses the foolish things of the earth to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to disarm the strong. You might be partaking of this supernatural series and say, man, that sounds awesome. That sounds like something flowing in the supernatural power of God, seeing the results of Jesus in my life. That sounds like something for important people. And Jesus says, yeah, tag, you're it. (laughs) What determines your value? Your last name, your educated status, or the price that God was willing to pay to purchase you as his child? In my life, I've just made a decision to believe that my value is determined by the spilled blood of Jesus. Not a paper that hangs on my wall or doesn't hang on my wall. Not a plaque or certificate on my shelf. Not the amount of money in the checkbook, checking account. What I've determined to define my value is what the author and creator of the entire universe paid to be in relationship with me. How many of you believe the blood of Jesus is valuable? How many of you watching this right now on our online campus believe that the blood of Jesus is valuable? Wherever you're at, say amen. (laughs) What more could you have as a sure sign of your value than to be reminded at the nail-scarred hands of Jesus? What more sure sign do you have that God wills to equip you with his Holy Spirit and commission you to a supernatural work of grace in your day, in your job, in your community, in your family, than the open side of Jesus and the lashes on his back. Anytime we get into a place of feeling like we're unworthy, it would be incumbent upon us to reflect on the cross. These were men in Acts 4 that we're going to read about that lived under this compelling love of Christ whenever they remembered the cross, when they remembered the life and teaching of Jesus, when they saw the extent that he was willing to go. It was the love of Christ. Paul says this in some of his writings. It's the love of Christ that was compelling him to the ministry that he was moved with compassion to steward here on this earth. It's the love of Christ that compels us to get outside of our box outside of the limitations we've placed on God and ourselves and believe that the Lord's no respecter of person. If he'll baptize me in the Holy Spirit, he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If he died for me, he died for you. And when we choose to participate in that love, when we choose to say yes to Jesus, that's when we ask and we believe we receive and his life comes on the inside of us. 
And in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment to live his kind of life with his kind of results comes into us as well. What's supposed to be manifesting in your life? Simple. The same things that manifested in his. If you bear his name, scriptures go on to tell us that as he is, so are we in this life. The way that we begin to share the life of Christ boldly, the way that we begin to release our Christian witness on a day-to-day basis is we first have to come into a place of believing that he's given us the capacity, the empowerment, the guarantee, the ordination, the certification, and he's done it all by his blood and by his spirit. You can't add to the work of the cross, but you can take away from it. The only way you take away from it is by not receiving it. How many of you say, I would like to step into everything that God has for me? If Jesus bought it and it's paid for, I might as well take it. Amen? So this place of coming into a realization that your value has been determined by the cross, the provision of the Holy Spirit's available to you the same way salvation was through childlike faith and receiving that, now equips you and empowers you with everything you need to live a life of Christian witness. And the life of Christian witness that God's called us to live is a bold one. It's not one controlled and dominated by fear. Let me talk to you about the supernatural power of God here for a moment. I haven't forgot about Acts 4. We'll get to it. This is more important right now. Let me talk to you about the supernatural power of God in your life that comes to you by the Holy Spirit. I talk with a lot of people, and they get confused sometimes, and they say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me in this area because I'm struggling. And what I've learned over my years of pastoring people and listening to them and spending time in conversation, one of the things I've picked up is that a lot of times there's this misthought, this wrong idea in the brain that the supernatural power of God is in your life to keep you from experiencing struggles. That the supernatural power of God in your life is is there so that you never have a temptation again. And people live their life reassessing their value and redetermining their value based upon the faithfulness of their struggle and their temptation instead of the faithfulness of Christ. What's more sure, the fact that you're tempted or the fact that he's given you power to overcome? What's more sure, the fact that we all have a struggle or the fact that Jesus is our Savior? I can tell you that the supernatural power of God in your life does not remove struggle and it does not remove temptation. The supernatural power of God in your life will embolden you to be a voice of truth, to do justice, to act out mercy, to release power on a day-to-day basis. But here's the thing it also does is it gives you the power to overcome fear, temptation, and any other struggle. The power of God coming into your life doesn't remove it. It gives you the power to overcome it. And that is a more powerful witness than never having to struggle again. The more powerful witness is that no matter what comes my way, no matter what power might come up against me, living a life of Christian witness, living a life of understanding our union with Christ now. Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth says this, that he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. Think about that for a minute. One spirit with the Lord, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, united to God in Christ. Church, What struggle 
ever faced Jesus that he wasn't able to overcome. But even the life of Christ was not devoid of struggle. We know this in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews tells us that in all ways, Christ was tested and tempted like us, yet he was without sin. If temptation, struggle, and trial was not devoid in Jesus's life, what makes you think by you getting the same Holy Spirit is going to be devoid in yours? This is a verse that I don't see on anybody's refrigerator, but it's one that Jesus said, and he says this, in this life you will have trials. I've never seen that on anybody's refrigerator, have you? We cherry-picked the ones we like for the fridge, <laughs> but we got to eat the whole thing, amen? It's best that way. Listen, you're struggling, I know. You're reassessing your value. You're struggling with timidity or fear. How can I really be bold for Christ? How can I really live out this witness? Well, quick review, you got to one, reestablish your value. What does God say about you? Not what your past says, not what your parents have said, not what some of your spouses have said, not what you've spoken over yourself, not what your kids have said, not what your employers have said, not what the relationships that have ended have said, not what your report card has said, not what your performance review at work has said. What determines your value? If you were valuable enough for Jesus to purchase you and to bring you into his family with his blood, then I've got news for you. Valuable things have valuable purpose. You were bought because you have the capacity to be a shining light of the glory of God and you have a unique flavor of Christ to release in your life through the way he's gifted you and equipped you. An eternal God and an infinite God needs an eternal amount and an infinite amount of people to, rep, to, rep, to, people to represent his nature and his goodness in this life. You have a peace of Christ. You have a fragrance of Christ. You have a flavor of Christ that was so valuable that he was willing to shed blood to be able to purchase you and empower you with this Holy Spirit because he knew that you had the capacity to reach a group of people and he didn't want to do it independent of you. He chose to link himself into relationship with you. So if we're going to be bold for Christ, we have to get over ourselves. I'm not valuable. I'm not powerful. If you feel that way, two things you need to do. Get saved and get filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Salvation will determine your value and the Holy Spirit will take care of your powerless issue. Done those two things, now it's time to live. How's it time to live? I, so many people struggle with fear. Fear in different areas hits us all. Fear of man, fear of loss, fear of lack, fear of rejection. We've all struggled with this. I love what a mentor of mine says. He says, you, he, 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 he's a preacher, pastor like me. He said, you think I'm just up here preaching because I sin less than you do. He said, no, I'm just here because I said yes. <laughs> I love that. It's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Get saved. Let it establish your value. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let it take care of the powerlessness. Fear has no place in your life. But here's the thing. Fear is forgetful. You don't have to be. Fear will forget that it doesn't have a place in your life. And it will occasionally knock on the door. Your solution, leave the door locked. Fear will forget it doesn't have a place in your life when you feel led of the Holy Spirit to share about what God's done in you and through you at work, at school, at the grocery store, with the phone call, whatever it might be. Send that person a message. Let them know you're praying. 
fear of rejection, fear of man. Well, forget it doesn't have a place in your life. Remind it. How do we do that? By the supernatural power of God given us through the Holy Spirit. The scripture says God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's who I am. Listen, the supernatural power of God in place through the Holy Spirit and the shed blood of Jesus in your life doesn't keep you from experiencing fear. It allows you now to no longer be controlled by it. Experiencing an emotion and being controlled by an emotion are two different things. Because of the freedom you have in Christ, you no longer have to be controlled by anything that you don't want to be. But what happens is because the fear is real still, because the experience is real, because the knock at the door is real, and there really is something on the other side, we forget to remind fear that it has no place. How do you get to a place of reminding fear that it has no place? We're going to see it out of Acts 4. Acts 4.13. Now listen to this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, who's they? The religious community that was oppressing them because they kept speaking in the name of Jesus. The people that wanted to shut down the gospel mission that Peter and John were on. How many of you know that there's principalities and powers in this life that would love to shut down the gospel mission that Christ has called you to? If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to figure out that we got to look to the scriptures and the spirit for guidance. The same way we look to salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit to take care of our value and our power, how we now flow in godly wisdom comes to us from two sources, the scriptures and the spirit. And we read and we see here, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they saw that even in the face of threats, even in after beatings, even in all these different persecutions that were coming against them, Peter and John had boldness. And listen to this, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. Listen, it's okay if people haven't figured out your value. It's okay if people haven't figured out that you're filled with power. God already has. And if you're going to live your life of Christian witness with boldness, you have to start living more for the smile of the Father than the approval of men. Listen to this. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, man, let me tell you something. When you start allowing yourself to believe that you're valued, believe that you're filled with power, and as we talked about earlier, you start drawing near and near and near to the Father's heart, newsflash, your life becomes noticeable. In the beginning of Acts, Jesus said, you'll receive my Holy Spirit and you will be empowered to be my witnesses. Let me tell you this. Being a witness for Jesus it isn't about things that we do. It's about a particular life that we live. Witnessing for Christ is not about things we do. It's about a life that we live. People can argue opinions. People can argue doctrine. People can argue about your past. People can argue about your present struggle or your future worry. People can argue about your last name and how does that qualify you to testify of God's goodness. People can argue your education. They can argue your commonness, but nobody can argue with the life of value and power that a surrendered Christ follower lives in front of your fellow man day in and day out. People can argue opinions, but they can't argue with your life. They said... These men are uneducated. They're common. 
but they have boldness. And they recognize that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Different message for a different day there. And there was a man that they had healed that caused this uproar. It says this, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When you get to a place of believing that you're valuable and believing that you have power, and now you act on it, I guarantee you, you will leave the opposition speechless. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they brought him into this sham of a trial, this mock religious council to try to silence them and their preaching because they were stirring up trouble. After they left the council, they talked with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? You know my mission? Every day, I want the devil to scratch his head and say, what am I going to do with this guy? That's a good way to live. That's living in accordance to my value and not wasting the power that God's placed in my life. But let me tell you this. If you're going to live a life after God and flow in the supernatural, you have to stop getting hung up on the spectacular. Because the supernatural power of God loves to invade this earth through ordinary people in unlikely places. If you're really following God after you've determined that you're going to believe you're valuable and after you're going to allow yourself to be filled with power, then I believe that a true supernatural life, more should happen in your life by accident than on purpose. Because being a witness for Jesus isn't giving yourself a pep talk every morning and keeping a list of religious duties and beating yourself up because you didn't have faith that day, you operated in fear that day, living a life of being a witness to Jesus is surrendering to his voice, not your own self-talk. And the better and better you get at surrendering to God's idea of your value, God's idea of the power that he's placed on the inside of you, the more and more you'll see the bold witness of Christ show up in your life. Don't get hung up on the, suit, on the spectacular, but always expect the supernatural. What shall we do with these men? They said, for a notable sign has been performed through them and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in this name. What name? The name of Jesus. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Listen to Peter. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people were all praising God because of what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the part I was trying us to get to. The believers, Peter and John, or at least they go back to the rest of the believers and they gather together and they pray a prayer and they remind God of the threats that are happening. They remind God, and let me tell you this, they remind God of the threats that are happening. A lot of prayers start off by you reminding God of something, but they always end up, if you pray right, with God reminding you of who he is in you. I don't have anything wrong. I don't think it's a great way to pray to start off reminding God of something as if he's forgotten. They start off, God, hear their threats. Hear the things that are being said. But about midway through that prayer, they start shifting into a place of allowing God to remind them of who he is. 
Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. Here's the shift. God, look upon their threats. And in this place now, I believe there's some Holy Ghost hijacking going on in their prayer. And grant to us, your servants. Listen to this. Listen to this. They didn't pray for God to take away the threat. They didn't pray for God to remove the mountain. They didn't pray for God to make it safer for them to share the gospel. This is what they prayed. God, remember their threats, but in remembering their threats, remember us and listen to what they pray for. And grant to us, your servants, to continue to speak your word with boldness. Here's the thing. The attack on you isn't even about you. It's about the word that you have on the inside of you. Listen to me, all right? Nobody is that important that the devil is all freaked out about them. But I can tell you who becomes super important to the enemy is whoever's made a decision to believe and walk by the important one that's on the inside of them. You, apart from Jesus, can't do much. You with Jesus, not a whole lot you can't do. They said, remember their threats, but don't take the threat away. Don't make the possibility of beating stop. Don't stop the persecution. Do something else. Give us the boldness to continue firm in our witness. Maybe we aren't bold in sharing. Maybe sometimes we draw back because we're praying for God to give us an open door instead of using the Holy Ghost sledgehammer. <laughs> I can tell you a lot of times wisdom in the life of a Christian is really just fear with a mask on. I don't have peace about that. Who you've been talking to. That wouldn't be a wise decision to share that or to send that or to pray for that or to do this. What if I step out and I pray and nothing happens? Well, I can ask you the same question. What if you step out and pray and everything happens? Well, what if I pray for them and I get part of the word wrong? Or what if I pray for them to get healed and they really don't get healed? Sounds like Jesus' problem, not yours. Didn't pray for the open door. Didn't pray for safety. God, you hear their threats. Let me tell you something. If we're going to be bold for Christ, we have to start praying for easy situations and we have to make a decision to allow a place of deep birthing prayer to tap us back into the, the strength that's found in our value and the power released to us by the Holy Spirit. Don't pray for things to get easier. Pray for God to be increased in your life. Resistance always heightens immediately before the breakthrough. I gauge the severity of the miracle based upon the resistance. Devil, you're really working hard to try to stop this. Must be good. <laughs> Better keep walking this way. You're working hard to try to shut me up. Better talk louder. You're working hard to keep me distant from that person. I better invite them to lunch. You're working hard to put offense and bitterness in my life. That must be the one I'm supposed to talk to first. Every time I feel around, I'm around them, I feel afraid. That must be the first person you want me to show your love to. See, whenever you start living like that, the devil, the, the, the devil makes a decision that maybe he should leave you alone more. When his attack on you and in a situation causes more boldness to come out of you, that's how you get free of the oppression of the devil. Because it doesn't matter the opposition now doesn't matter the fact I still might have this struggle. doesn't matter the fact that I still experience fear time to time. Boldness comes from me getting myself recentered in a place of prayer and say, God, 
I'm reminding you of what I'm going through. But through this prayer, I'm also asking that you remind me of what you've put in me and what you will to now run through me by the Holy Spirit. And even in the face of the threat, even in the face of my current struggle, I make a decision to ask you for boldness. Check this out. And they said this, grant us boldness to speak your word while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, not when they complained, not when they had aired their grocery list to God, but when they had prayed, Prayer is about coming back into alignment with what God says, not what you're feeling. Prayer is about coming back into a place of recentering yourself on God's word, not basking in the glow of your current situation. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We're gonna pray before I'm done with this talk. And whatever situation is going on in your life where you've might been praying for God to make it easier, I think we need to pray for boldness to dive in further. Whatever situation we've been praying for with God, just make it something that I don't really have to try for. We're gonna tap into a place of using what the Holy Spirit's for, which is the great comforter. I got news for you, church. You don't need the Holy Spirit if you're always comfortable. He's the great comforter, which implies you need him when you're uncomfortable. He is your peace because there's going to be situations that test your peace. He's the counselor because there's going to be people that get under your skin that God still wants you to radically love. There's going to be problems that he brings to you that are too big for you on purpose so that you can get out of the way and do your part of just speak the boldness and let his hand move. His hand always follows boldness. Sometimes the boldest thing you can do is not give up. Sometimes the boldest thing you can do is stop complaining and start praying. Sometimes the boldest thing that you can do is pick up a phone and send that text. Sometimes the boldest thing that you can do is make a decision, I need to forgive. I've been allowing this person that's hurt me to be the thing that controls my value. I've been allowing this person that's hurt me to be the thing that controls my power. And I need to come back into a place of trusting in Jesus. I need to come back into a place of understanding that he's empowered me to live a particular kind of life. Let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit definitely comes in handy in faith-filled moments. But I can tell you the thing that the Holy Spirit is most assuredly for is it empowers you to live a lifetime of faithfulness. A lot of people are praying for God to come through in a faith-filled moment. Real Holy Ghost power is after the miracles happened. The resistance ensues. Real Holy Ghost power is not when it gets better, but when it gets worse. Real Holy Ghost power is when the knocking of fear gets so loud it's all you can hear. Real Holy Ghost power isn't for when things are going great. Real Holy Ghost power is whenever the fear is crippling. What you do in that moment determines whether or not you continue to see the hand of God move in your situation. I'm going to end with a testimony. When my wife was pregnant with our second child, who's now my son, currently, as I call him, my only begotten son, the jury's still out on what number five is going to be. We don't know yet. So for right now, Judah is my only begotten son. 
And he likes for me to tell him that. So that's what I call him. My only begotten son, Judah. If this next baby's a boy, we're going to be in trouble. I'm going to have to call him that in secret or something. But anyway, my wife was pregnant with, with Judah. And she was 10 weeks pregnant. And she started going through all the signs of a miscarriage. Bleeding, the pain, all those things. She went and got checked out. They did this test where they check certain hormones in the body. And the nurse told him, yeah, this is definitely what's happening. Your body is aborting this pregnancy. I was scheduled that day to go and take a group down to a special event in Dallas to hear a well-known speaker. And I told Serena, I can't leave. I got to stay with you. And she said, no, you don't. God's got something for you there, and you need to bring it back to us. So I went, and I took the group. And it was hard for me to leave, but one thing I figured out is it's not good to argue with your wife. So I left, and I took the group down there. And I was there, and I was wrestling. I was saying, God, man, what's going on? Look at these threats coming against me. I had a group of people that I was leading. I had a group of people that I was pastoring. I had a group of people that were looking up to me and counting on this. I had to continue being a witness of God's goodness and grace. I told them all what was happening. We prayed. Right before we left, we went into an office at the church in Durant that's now my office. It wasn't my office at the time. And we had our ladies pastor and a dear friend of ours come and pray with me. And in that moment, they started praying life and peace over my wife. The situation didn't look good. I knew I had a responsibility to this group to still step out and lead and to take them promise. And my wife confirmed it and got in the van to leave. And we got down there and I was in worship at the service. And I told God, I said, God, I don't understand what's going on. Look at these threats. Look at what's happening. And God, I don't feel like worshiping. God, I don't feel like even being here. But I'm going to make a choice. The knocking of fear was so loud. The experience of being out of control was so real. My powerlessness felt very real. My value in that moment felt very small. God, don't you value me enough to stop this situation? What's happening to me? It's times of trial and testing that are going to determine if you continue to live your witness. How many of you know part of your witness is continuing to worship? Part of your witness is continuing to pray. A more sure sign of your witness of Christ isn't what you do in front of everybody. It's what you do when nobody's watching. It's what you do when the music stops. It's what you do when the anointing isn't tangible. That's the time that you live a witness because that's the part of your life that nobody can argue with. When things are not going well, do you still worship God? When God doesn't do it exactly the way you want it, what's your response to him? Are you a fair-weather Christian? Or has your value been determined by Christ and the power been sealed by the Holy Spirit? What are you going to do when times get tough, like they did for the apostles, like they did for me that day? In that service, I made a decision. Say, God, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to lift my hands. God, I don't feel like it, I'm going to sing. And as soon as I did, the Lord gave me this picture of this little baby boy. Serena was only 10 weeks pregnant. We didn't know for sure what it was, but I saw a picture of this baby boy and I could feel him in my arms. And the Lord said this to me, you will hold your son. And I said, God, that sounds great. Like next pregnancy, believing it to be a boy. It's gonna be awesome. Thank you for that comfort. Thank you for that thing. I reminded God of the threat. His hand moved in that moment because I made a decision to continue my witness. I made a decision to continue to lead that group. I made a decision to continue to follow in obedience, even when things weren't going the way that I wanted them to. 
Some time passes. Serena continues experiencing all the signs of losing the baby for about a week and a half. Time goes on. Weeks later, starts to feel something similar to the feelings that a woman feels when they're pregnant. Said, this is odd. This is kind of weird. Some time goes by. She decides to go to her doctor, do a sonogram. They establish, yes, you're pregnant, and you're 10 weeks pregnant. It was on a Wednesday. I took that group, made a decision to continue my witness, to be a leader, to continue to worship, to continue to show a company of people that we serve God even in bad times, not just when things are going good. Had to keep your faith on. Have to keep your love on. In that moment, it was December the 3rd, I took that group. It was a Wednesday. Serena went to her doctor on a Wednesday. Ten Wednesdays to the day was December the 3rd. I don't know how God did it. Still the greatest miracle I've ever seen in all my life. All I know is my son was in there for 10 weeks. <laughs> Something happened. Medically confirmed that my baby was lost. And God somehow, in only the way that his hand intervening in a situation can, he took death and he brought life. He made my son's day of conception the same day we thought we were losing him. How did God do that? I don't have any idea. What do you do when fear's knocking louder than your faith? What do you do when worry's drowning out your worship? If you're going to live for him out there, then you got to stand up for him when things are falling apart inside the walls and halls of your home. If you're going to see God heal people on the street, if you're going to see the blind see and demons leave, what that all comes down to is what you do when nobody's watching. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a lifetime of faithfulness? Or are you just holding out for him to show up in a faith-filled moment? That determines whether or not we see the supernatural. Jesus is with you. My question is, have you made a decision to stay with him? Let's pray. Father, every heart in the house tonight, every person within the sound of my voice that's been struggling with value, that's been struggling with powerlessness, that's been struggling with what to do when all the things in their life are not lining up based upon your word, that have been tempted to give up in the realm of their Christian witness because they just can't seem to break through. Father, before you break them out into communities, before you break them out into positions of influence in their job, you want to do a breakthrough in their prayer closet. You want to do a breakthrough in this place tonight before you break them out to move in miracle-working power in the streets, in the realms of influence that you've given them, you want to break through their hearts right now as they pray for boldness. That God, even though it hurts, I still choose to be a witness. Even though the threat is more real than the blessing right now, I choose to be a witness. I choose to not let worry drown out my worship. I choose to not let the sound of fear override my faith. I'm going to go forward because, Lord, what you will to break through in my life, you will now to allow me to operate in the supernatural and to break that same breakthrough into someone else. If that's you tonight and you'd say, I'm ready to continue on in that place of witness, 
even when it hurts, even when I'm uncomfortable, if I'm ready for God to give me that breakthrough before I break out, then in this moment, you've got to make a decision to pray. Remind God of your situation. Sure, he hasn't forgot. But more importantly, to allow him to remind you of what he's placed on the inside of you. Worship anyway. Stand anyway. Do the right thing anyway. And see God show up in supernatural ways in your life. Everybody said, amen. Let's give some glory to God if you got anything out of that.